good to be in God's house. It's good to be with God's people. Most of all, it's good to be with the Lord. Amen. And to know that he's, he's here with us. Appreciate the worship. I appreciate Sunday school this morning. If you miss Sunday school or if you don't normally attend Sunday school, I encourage you to do so. It's a wonderful time of studying God's word. We've been going through different parables in the Bible. And uh, the Lord's teaching us a lot of things. He's teaching me a lot of things through it. I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This will be our, our main uh, text for the day. We'll have some other scriptures that we'll read. But this is what it's going to all be focused upon this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians 4. Uh, 7 through 11. Let's read this together. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. We're going to stop right there. Uh, we are doing a series. This is the third and final part of this little brief series on Sunday mornings about being delivered, being delivered. And to be honest with you, this is the, the part that I wanted to get to that I had in mind, I believe, or the Lord had in my mind when, when he gave me this series. We started uh, th uh, two weeks ago today, actually, we, we started on how wicked men will deliver the righteous over. Delivered not in a good sense, where they, they'll turn you over. There are different definitions for that word, by the way. Joseph's brother sold him for 20 pieces of silver, right, in the Old Testament. They delivered him over to some slave traders for personal gain. The Bible talks about the wicked delivering up or delivering over the righteous for their own, maybe to save their own necks, maybe for some type of profit. And Jesus even warned of that. He warned his followers, his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, 10 but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and to the synagogue to be scourged. They will. They will. Uh, Men are going to deliver you up. Who? The righteous, worldly men, wicked men, lost men will deliver over the righteous. And that was the, even in that, God has his hand. If you're righteous and we're the people of God and we're delivered over, even, that, even in that, God is with us. Amen. And he, he has purpose in it. Uh, last week, we talked about the Lord being the deliverer, not one who gives us over, but the one who delivers us and plucks us out. And that word for deliverance there when the Lord delivers us. It has to do with salvation, with plucking us out, saving us, snatching us out of some type of despair. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. What a scripture. If you don't know, it's Psalm 34, 19. Highlight it in your Bible. Amen. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. And even Nebuchadnezzar, when the three Hebrew boys took a stand for God, and were cast into the fiery furnace where he thought they would be consumed and destroyed. There was a fourth man in the fire with them, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen, and they were delivered out of his hands. 
And even Nebuchadnezzar, the king who put them in there, said, there's no God that can deliver after this sort. And he's right. There's no God that can deliver like our God. Amen. And so that was last week. And this week is a little different. I want you to really stay with me. This week, it's the passage that we just read. This week, it's being delivered by God, by our Savior, by our Lord, over unto death, that God may be glorified in return. You say, well, how is he glorified through that? Well, we're going to talk about it. We're talking about the righteous, the people of God, the redeemed of the Lord that are already saved, okay? God handing us over, not completely over. He doesn't abandon us, but putting us in those circumstances where death would would work, where it seems like there's no hope, where it seems like there's nothing but despair and destruction, that the life of Christ might be manifest in us in those dark moments. Now, that's kind of unusual, isn't it? But this is what the Bible teaches. He's already saved us from our sin. We're his. We belong to him. We're in the Father's hands, and nothing and no one can pluck us from the Father's hand, Jesus says. And yet, in the Father's hand, sometimes he will deliver us over, not like wicked men, for our destruction. He'll deliver us over into hard circumstances and situations in this life that the life of God may be manifest and shine forth brightly through us. This is what we're talking about today. So not given up or given over like wicked men, but delivered in the hands of God over that he might be glorified through it. It's an amazing thing. There's nothing else quite like it. But I want you to look back. We're going to spend a little more time in our passage. You see what, what Paul says. Now, Paul wrote this and, and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verses 8 and 9 specifically. He says, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. So he's, everywhere he turns, there's trouble, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. The wicked will forsake you and turn you over if it saves their net. Okay? But, but God turns us over, but he doesn't forsake us. And I, I, I read like another translation or almost like an explanation of those two verses. When he says perplexed, he says we're uh, Paul says we're puzzled but not utterly confused. We're hard-pressed, but we're not suffocated or silenced. We're pursued, but never completely overtaken. We're struck down, but not out of the fight. It's so, in, in other words, we're wounded in action. That's what Paul's saying. We're wounded in action, but we're still in action. We're still in the fight. One man of God wrote it this way. We're often felled. Paul was often felled or knocked down, but never finished. You know when Paul was finished? It wasn't when the enemy determined he'd be finished. It wasn't when the beast of Ephesus determined he would be finished. And it wasn't even when the Roman Empire, uh, when he was beheaded, determined he would be finished. It's when God said he's finished. It's when he said, I've finished my course. I've run the race. I've fought the good fight of faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And not for me only, but all those that love his appearing. Paul was never brought into a, such a narrow place where God didn't make a way of escape. He was never so turned over to the hands of the enemy as a child of God himself, never so turned over that there was no way of escape. Remember that. And we're just using Paul for an example. He was never turned over and abandoned by God where he says, I'm just, I'm done with him. I'm turning him over. 
God doesn't do that. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But he turns us over unto death, which is an amazing thing. The one constant in this passage is verse 10, where he says, always. We're troubled, you know, we're perplexed, we're persecuted, we're cast down. Always, though, bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. It's an amazing thought. It's an amazing truth. When he says, always bearing about the dying of the Lord Jesus, always bearing about means carrying about. We're always carrying about, always, Paul says, the dying of the Lord Jesus. And I think it's interesting that the Bible states it in the sense that not always caring about or bearing about the death of Jesus as a historical fact, but the dying. So I actually looked that up. The dying of the Lord Jesus means a state or condition of being dead, like it's in the current. It's, we know that it's a historical fact that Jesus died and rose again, but Paul says what we bear about as the people of God and the ministers of God, we bear about the dying of the Lord Jesus as a state or condition, a state of being crucified. Paul said, he doesn't say, uh, I was crucified with Christ. He says, I am in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. I am. That's a current condition of my life. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Paradox. I'm crucified, yet I live. Well, we live by the life of another. Uh, in the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? And so... Uh, we're always, it's a constant state. And this is one of the things that I think that God wants us to gather from this message today. Paul was always crucified with Christ once he got saved. Paul was always identified with the death of Jesus Christ. Not just the religion of Christianity. I'm not a Jew anymore, I'm a Christian. He was always identified with the death of Jesus Christ. Always dead to himself. That's what was working in him. Always it was the life of another, the Lord Jesus, in and through him. Why? That's the big question. Why would it be this way? This is so contrary to modern Christianity, what we hear. This is so absolutely contrary to what we hear in most churches, in most Christian books, in most music, and, and everything else. I'm not saying that there's there not other uh, people preaching and living the truth. There are. But I'm saying as a whole. The church has moved away from this thought. And it's basically just the idea of God just wants to heap his blessings upon me in this life. Our, our best life is to come when we exit this life. What waits for us and the hope that remains for us is far better than this life. Am I saying that God doesn't bless his people in this life? He absolutely does. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'm saying that this life, there's a purpose in the Christian living this life. This life with your feet planted on the, or on the ground in this earth. We're not in a glorified body yet. We're not reigning with Christ in the millennium. We're not in a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. We're here in a dark, sin-filled world. And the whole world lies in the embrace of the wicked one, the Bible says. And we're here as salt and light. And there's a reason that we bear about, or we are to bear about, the dying of the Lord Jesus. It says that the life also, in verse 10, 10, 10 and 11 are going to be our, our main scriptures, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies, okay? In our body. 
So there's a life, there's a reason for it. And when we get the reason for it, then it makes sense. It, we understand God's not being cruel. God's not just turning us over out of cruelty. He's not just letting, letting the enemy do whatever he wants for no purpose. There is a God-given holy purpose and a plan. The why is very important. That the life also of Jesus might be manifest. There's a long definition for manifest, but it all means pretty much the same thing. I'm going to read it. Might be manifest in our body. It means to be visible, to be apparent. What? The life of Christ in our bodies. Okay? Might be visible, might be apparent, might be plainly seen, clearly seen, publicly seen, evidently seen, openly seen. That's what the word manifest means. This, this to me, uh, this to me, this would say there's no real place for the, the closet Christian. The whole idea of being a Christian and still being saved and still being on this earth, if it was all just about closet Christianity where I'm saved and I don't let anybody know about it, then wouldn't the Lord just save us and take us on up to heaven? But he's left us here amongst people that don't know Jesus. Many don't want to know Jesus. Many will never come to know Jesus. And he still left us here. And that the, his life might be manifest, always bearing about the dying that the life of Christ may be manifest in our body. This leaves no room for closet Christians or closet Christianity. If any man will. Every man won't. And you certainly don't have to. But if any man will come after me. Let him deny himself. And take up his cross. And follow me. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You'll be sorry in the end that you didn't, but you don't have to do that. If we had to do that, then everybody on this planet would be doing that. They'd all be saved. They'd be denying themselves, taking up their crosses, and following Jesus. We don't have to. He gave us a free will. That's why he says, if any man will, come after me. I want to come after Jesus. I want to follow after Jesus. I want to. I want to more today than I did yesterday or last Sunday. And I want you to, and more importantly than what I want, the Lord wants us to. Amen? People think it's a private matter, but God wants his son to be openly seen in the lives of those he's redeemed. Does it mean everybody has to be a preacher and stand behind a pulpit and put a microphone on their head like this? No, it does not. But we're all called to be salt and light. That is God's purpose. Where does he want to be seen in our lives, in our bodies? He wants to be seen in the young and the old and in the, in the male and the female and the people that just got saved and the people that have been saved for many, many years. All of us. That's a similar, just, it's not just Paul. Amen? And the only way that this is possible is by what he told us here in verse 10. The only way that it's possible for the Lord Jesus to be clearly manifest in those he has redeemed, as that we bear about the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ constantly. That's the only way. There's no other way. The state of dying of the Lord Jesus in our life. That's why the Lord sees fit in verse 11. For we which live, God sees fit to do this. We which live are always delivered unto death. Who did it? Those that live in Christ, who delivers us unto death? Always delivered unto death. It says, for Jesus' sake. 
that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Since the Lord knows this is the only way for, for Christ to be clearly seen in the believer, he, it is to turn us over unto death. Not to forsake us, turn us over unto positions of hardship and, and, and seemingly weakness and seemingly uh, no way out type of thing, like the three Hebrew boys. They were turned over. He didn't keep them from going in the fire. He didn't keep them and let them live in another empire where there wasn't such a command as bow down when the music plays. He let them live under that authority. He let them live in that kingdom. He let them live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. The Bible says among, among whom we shine as lights. He let them not bow. Now we're starting to see you know, there's a separation here, right? Everybody bow, but they didn't bow. Uh-oh. Now what? This massive powerful world empire and this world king and he was he was all of that who could do what he wanted with people's lives but there's one over him amen there's one over him God allowed it he allowed them to actually be cast into the fire many times he'll spare us from going in the fire many times he lets us go in the fire he let the three Hebrews go in the fire and was with them that the life of Christ might be manifest in that moment, in that situation, in, in and through and for and on behalf of those three seemingly weak young men had no authority or power to stand against what they were called to stand against. To show himself mighty is for God's glory. Amen. And this is the only way that the Lord is able to do that. He sees fit, in verse 11, we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our mortal flesh. Okay? In our mortal flesh. The light of the world. The Savior of the world. He came at one time, about 2,000 years ago, and was uh, the Word became flesh. God incarnate. That's part of our Christian doctrine. Okay? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And People saw him and people beheld him. One day he's coming again and every eye is going to see him. And, and the people of Israel and, and the kind, all the kindreds of the earth, they're going to see him. Doesn't mean they'll all be saved, but every eye is going to see him when he comes a second time. But right now, today, and since Christ rose and ascended, where he's at the right hand of the Father now, and until he comes back at the second coming, at the end of the tribulation, he desires to be manifest through the lives of plain old people like you and me that he saved that is his vessel that is his body over which he's the head that is how he's chosen it to be amen and so the lord wants to be seen in the lives of those he's redeemed the whole thing is of god it's his way it's his will it's not uh it's not that we're turned over and abandoned. It's not we're just turned over and to be kicked around for men, by men that don't know God and don't love us. <clears throat> it's, it's for a purpose of the Lord. And it's, again, it's not just for the Apostle Paul. Now, we don't actually die in every circumstance or situation. That's, but we're always bearing about the death of the Lord. We always, and I'll just read this scripture. This is a good scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, 11. For, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 
1.9, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. There's a sentence of death upon the life of the Christian. You say, well, I thought the gift of God is eternal life. Everything's about life. Yes, but it's about his life. It's about his life manifest in us. It's not carrying over this carnal sinful life, clean it up a little bit, and let's keep it going all the way through heaven. It's a new life. We're born of the Spirit of God. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. It's his life. The gift of God is eternal life, but that life is through Christ, and it's actually Christ's life in us. It's his Holy Spirit that lives in us. It is the life of another. The life which I now live, I live by the faith of the, of the Son of God. And so we had this sentence of death in ourselves. Sentence of death means a judicial decision or a judgment. Okay, as, as believers, we're not, we're not, we don't have the sentence of sin upon ourselves. We've been delivered from sin and the power of sin. But we're delivered over unto death for God's glory. We don't die at every, every moment. But we walk around as dead men, so to speak, dead to ourselves, alive to God that the Lord, Lord's life may be manifest fully in us. Amen? And so it's not just for Paul. This, this passage of Scripture is, is like a proclamation or an announcement of what we're called to. What we're called to. And I said we don't hear this a lot in our day. And we're not to think it's strange, in other words. So well, I gave my life to Christ, and now it seems like everything's going horrible for me. Well, don't think it's strange. Don't think it's strange. We're sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You have not been abandoned by God. You've been saved by God. Amen? And we're still living. This world is not our home. That's why we have to keep drilling into our heads and hearts and minds. Oh, yeah. I'm not home yet. I'm not home yet. I'm not home yet. This isn't my home. This is their home. This is the world's home. And they eat, drink, and be merry and live it up. And they're perfectly at home in their home. They're perfectly at home in the world. They're perfectly at home with, with the, the moral climate and the way it's moving. They're all for that. They're all for that. They're perfectly at home. They're accepted by that. They're not facing the... They might get sick. They might have sicknesses or whatever. But they, they're perfectly at home in that climate. But we're not home yet. We're not home yet. So while we're here... The Bible says we're delivered unto death. That's what it's like. We're delivered unto death. We're always bearing about the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a reason that the life of Christ may be manifest. We're troubled, amen, on every side. Don't think it's strange. But this is not just for Paul. You notice how he says in verse 8, we are troubled on every side. We are perplexed, but not forsaken. That the life of Christ Jesus might be manifest in our bodies and so forth. It's, it's, it's for all believers. And we ought not try to get out of that. And I think a lot of the church world tries to escape. I did it for five years of my life. We try to find the easy path. The path of least resistance. And I share it all the time because I think it's common to all men. To all Christians. We, we try to find the path of least resistance to... Uh, to keep our Christianity and our, our ticket to heaven and make it to heaven when we die. But basically until then, we want to get along with no real problems. Get along with folks. Get along with the world. Not have any real problems at my work 
the rest of my family that doesn't know Jesus, my friends. I want to keep basically the same things going. And the Lord doesn't want us to keep the same things basically going. He wants it to be totally new and transformed. Totally transformed. Totally different. Totally otherworldly. Amen. New creature in Christ. Jesus said even in the garden, this cup which my Father has given me, Put up your sword, Peter, and thy sheath. The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink of it? It's a rhetorical question. Yes, he's going to drink of it. Peter's not going to deliver him from the soldiers. Jesus is going to a cross to be the Savior of the world. That's the cup which the Father gave him to drink. He had some tough times coming ahead in the next few hours and over the next day. Delivered oh, him who knew no sin, but come in sin for us. Besides the physical torment and pain that our Lord went through at the hands of the Romans and the Jews and on the cross. And the ridicule and the mocking. That was the cup that he was given to drink. Shall I not drink of it? My father gave it to me to drink of it. No, I'm going to drink of it. And I would say, and the Lord would say to all of us, the cup which he's given us to drink. Shall we not drink of it? We can try to find an easy way through life. Try to be a closet Christian, a carnal Christian. Keep the best of both worlds and you end up with neither. If you're going to follow the Lord, follow the Lord. If you're not, go, don't follow the Lord. Just decide. If you don't want to follow Jesus, don't follow Jesus. You'll regret it. I'm not counseling you to not follow Jesus. I'm saying, but if you're not going to follow the Lord, then don't follow him. Don't pretend. Don't put on a show. Don't try to do it halfway. I coach sports, and I say, if you can do this, do this. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to run this play, run it. Don't halfway run it, even if you run it wrong. Run it full speed. It might work out, you know. Do this. If you're going to do it, do it wholeheartedly. And this, there's nothing more where that is, is more the, the case than well, a walk with the Lord Jesus. Follow God or don't follow God. But if you're going to follow him, follow him. You'll have rewards for that. You have blessings for that. You'll know the Lord in a way that a compromising Christian does not know him. You'll be used by God in ways that a comp compromising Christian is never used by the Lord. Not that the Lord doesn't want to use them, by the way, or can't, because they can repent at any time and surrender fully to the Lord. But the cup that the Lord has given us, shall we not drink of it? Amen? And so we have this sentence of death for Christ's sake that Christ may be manifest in us, that's not depressing and it's not morbid. If it just ended with that and said, we all have the sentence of death and we always bear the, the dying of the Lord, then we'll go to heaven one day. That's not what he says. That the life also of Christ may be manifest in our mortal bodies. It's not depressing. It's not morbid. It's God's way of showing forth the life of his son. We have this treasure where? In an earthen vessel. The treasure is the treasure. We're not the treasure. Are we loved by God? Yes. Did Jesus die for us? Yes. But the treasure is Christ in us, the Spirit of God in us, and that is what is to be seen. As I said, God's not delivering us over to hell. He's not delivering us over to the torment of the devil uh, and, and just his total free will in our lives. He's not delivering delivering the righteous over to the power of sin and the kingdom of darkness. He's already delivered us from so great a death. We talked about last week and does deliver and whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. 
He's delivered us from the power of sin and darkness. The idea is that Christ's power in the believer. What does a believer look like? The believer looks frail compared to facing Nebuchadnezzar and, and the 90-foot-tall statue that was set up in that plain and the, all the power of that empire. The three little Hebrew boys, I'm not saying they were little, they were young men, but the three Hebrew boys looked minute in comparison to that. What can these three do against that? That's what we look like. That's what we look like right now. I've said it before, the world powers that be have set traps for the righteous and they have plans and the people with more money than we could ever dream of sit in places and they pull strings like a puppet over governments and over people and and, and things like that and decisions that are made. And you say, well, the little Christian is just like a little nothing. Sheep in the midst of wolves. Good description. And yet the Lord is not intimidated by that. He's not worried about that. He showed his power through, he, through Hebrew boys. He showed his power through David and a little sling and stone against a warrior, a giant warrior. It was, it's for God's glory. He wants to show, right, where does he want to show it? He wants to show it, his love, his wisdom, his power, right in the midst of the darkness. Right there. Give me the darkest spot. And the Lord says, that's where I want to show my love. Right in the middle of a, middle of a Muslim world, I want to show the love of Jesus. That's where I want to show it. Does that mean they're all going to get saved? No. But I want to show them the truth. I want to shine there. I mean, he shines through people. I say it all the time. He can do whatever he wants, but customarily, for, you know, normally he's not speaking through an oak tree. He speaks through people that he has saved. Who will put their lives on the line. I'm already dead. What, what can they hurt me? I'll go share the gospel to Muslims in a Muslim country if they're called to do so. Amen. To show himself strong and mighty in the midst of right in the midst of darkness, a weak vessel showing forth great power. It it looks like uh, like nonsense. You know, it looks like why would it be this way? But we're always delivered unto death that God's power might be seen. Right in the midst of hatred, right in the midst of rejection and persecution, we bear about the death of Jesus. Amen? And it's seen in our mortal flesh, in our bodies, in our bodies that are passing away and decaying and getting old. That's what he says, that in our mortal flesh, that simply means our human earthly bodies. Paul said from henceforth in Galatians 6, 17, from henceforth, let no man trouble me, for my, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He knew what it meant. I forget how many times shipwrecked and, and beaten, you know, with rods and, and stoned and left for dead and in prison and perils among his countrymen and perils among strangers and, and so forth. All, uh, hunger and all that he went through. He says, I'm bearing my body. Look here. Look at my back. In my body. I'm bearing the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't inflict those ourselves. They come. They come with the territory. We're delivered unto death. We live for God. And it comes. And I'll, I'll be bringing this uh, to a close. But this temporal, it's temporal. And that's what we have to 
remember. It's what we have to focus on. We have to remind our children. We have to remind ourselves. We have to remind our spouses. We have to remind each other. This is all temporary. Temporary. The earthen vessel, this earthly life, where we, where we bear the dying of the Lord, is temporary. It's temporary. It's temporal, and it will last no longer than our sojourn or our journey here in this, as Peter put it, our earthly tabernacle. Peter said, I'm about to die for the Lord. He knew it as well as Paul knew it. And he says, I'll soon put off this earthly tabernacle. Well, how long do we bear about the dying of the Lord? And we're always delivered unto death and so forth. As long as this earthly life lives, but it's temporary. This life has a definite uh, lifespan. It has an expiration time that the Lord has set for every individual. Whether it's the rapture or whether it's our individual uh, he was calling us home. But the joy of the Lord and the joy of heaven and the fellowship with God is forever. Is forever. He shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more what? Death. Hallelujah. We're always delivered to death here. That Christ might be seen in our lives and glorified. But that's temporary. It's temporary. He shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. It's just life and life and life and bliss and joy forever and ever. And so the fact that we're delivered unto the death by the Lord, again, it's not that he's rejected us. It's not that he's cast us off like the wicked would do, but it's for a very definite reason. In Job's life, for example, God delivered him over to Satan. We get the back scene. And they had a discussion about it. And the Lord said, if you consider my servant Job, there's none like him. He fears God and shuns evil. We only did that because you protect him, God. You let me get at him somewhat and he'll curse you to your face. Go ahead. I'm going to set the bounds on you, Satan. I'm not turning him over to do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want short of taking his life. And the Lord set bounds. And... God allowed the devil to go after him, but it was for a reason to test Job and his faith and to show God's power through Job's life. Guess what, Satan? You've done all you could do. You've, you've done all these things against him and taken his possessions and even his family and his health. And you know what, Satan? He didn't curse me. He didn't curse me. You were wrong. That weak vessel sitting there with boils all over his body in a heap of ashes. He didn't curse me. He didn't curse me. That the life of Christ might be manifest in these bodies. The Lord allowed Joseph's brothers to sell him for 20 pieces of silver for a purpose. The Lord allowed Stephen, first martyr in the New Testament, to be martyred. And as he's being martyred, guess what? His face is shining. His face is shining with the glory of God. He was delivered over death by God, but not abandoned by God. And as he's being stoned, who does this sound like? Forgive them, Lord, he says. Don't lay this sin to their, their charge. Sounds a lot like Jesus. It's the life of Jesus manifest in his life. And he says, I see the Son of God. The heavens open. The Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. And he fell asleep as the stones were hitting him. The Lord delivered him over unto death. They didn't forsake him and deliver him over and cast him off. 
like a wicked man would do. He delivers it us over for a purpose. Seeming defeat, but it's actual victory. Seeming weakness, but actually incomparable strength. We say in our wisdom, wouldn't it be a lot better, Lord, if we just you just caused the righteous, the saints, the Christians to just prosper everywhere we went? I mean, everything, nothing could touch us, and we just went through life, and and everything just moved out of our way. And, and like I said, people elected you senator and mayor. Wouldn't it be better if the Christians were just treated like that with a red carpet rolled out before us and no opposition and everything was great? No, it would not be. The Word of God teaches the exact opposite. We're pressed. We're, we're, we're pressed on every side, but we're not forsaken that the life of Christ. I'm going to close with this illustration of this thought. Gideon. Gideon in the Old Testament. When Israel was uh, being oppressed in the days of the judges, there was no king. Every man did what was right in his own sight. The, the Midianites, the Malachites, came like grasshoppers, like the sand on the seashore. At certain times of the year, they would come in and just mob rule with their camels. They would stomp out the Israel, Israelites' crops and vineyards and steal. And then the children of Israel lived under their oppression. And they had to hide out. And Gideon was hiding out in a wine press, threshing wheat, when the angel came and spoke to him. But he says, I want you to be used to deliver my people from this host of the, the Midianites. And God brings the number, we know the story, but brings Gideon's army down to 300 men. 300 men. You could pack 300 in here if you wanted to, probably. 300 men against a host of Midianites. And they were armed, with all of all things, with trumpets. The 300 were armed with trumpets at night and lamps, but the lamps were within pitchers. You know the story, pitchers, like made of clay. At the signal, Gideon says, I want you to blow your trumpets, and I want you to break the pitchers. When the pitchers were broken, and they were basically around the outside of the Midian camp, when the pitchers were broken and the trumpets were sounded, the light or the lamp that was in the pitcher shone forth in brilliance. And the Midianites were scared, terrified. We know it from the Bible. It tells us that. They were terrified. They were confused. They thought it was a vast army attacking them from all sides and not merely 300 men. The point of this is that the light only shone forth when the pitchers were broken. The light only shone forth when the pitchers were broken. And it's only when us as the earthen vessel. Remember, the treasure is the treasure. The earthen vessel is not the treasure. We have this treasure where? In our earthen vessels, in these bodies. It's only when these human vessels or instruments that we have are broken that Christ can shine forth clearly. When, only when we're yielded to God. Yielding means yielding all the way. Yielding all the way. If he calls me to die for him, I'm yielded. Whatever he calls me to. Like I said, we don't die every day physically, but we're given over unto it. We're, we have this sentence upon us. And it's only when we're delivered unto death 
that Christ can be so gloriously seen through us. D, you can come. I'm going to read this again. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. I want you, if you would, to turn with me. And we're going to read one passage, and the altars are open. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy is the last book, the last epistle that the Lord used Paul to write before he was martyred for the Lord in Rome. Second Timothy 4, 16 through 18. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. That's what men will do. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me, and strengthened me, that by me the, the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so the Lord turns us over, but he doesn't forsake us and turn us over in that sense. I just want us to pray this morning. Do you can play softly if you would. The altars are open. That God, as he's dealing with your heart, we know he's a deliverer. He delivers from the power of sin and sickness. And he delivers us every day of circumstance and situation. He keeps us from evil. He keeps us from falling into temptation and sin that would ruin our lives and ruin our testimony for Christ. He keeps us all the time. But are we at a point where we can fully yield to him that the vessel would be broken so to speak we're not hanging on to anything else it's just Jesus go ahead and break the vessel God that the life of Jesus might be seen clearly manifested in this mortal body this one that you loved enough to die for and redeemed with your precious blood and I love you and you're my Lord and Savior but God I haven't yielded to you that fully and today I want to do that. You come, the altar's open, and let's worship the Lord, and let's pray 